Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Groups of the Corn Podcast. I am the great and powerful Mr. E. And I am the C. Scallywag, Jay. And today, we are joined by a very special guest. Jay, would you introduce our guest? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello. This is, we are here with author and illustrator Michael Thompson. Uh, he is from Northern Virginia. His writing features dynamic character ensembles plunged into otherworldly circumstances with emphasis on adventure, humor, and heart. So welcome, Michael. Welcome to our show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So real quick before I hand stuff over to you, we met you at the Southwest Virginia Bigfoot and Friends or a couple tables apart. Yeah. Uh, we you know, met at the, the nice little pre-party they did for us, which is really cool of an event. Now, that was a great one. Was that your first cryptid event? I can't remember. That was my first ever cryptid-themed event. Ooh, what a good first one to go to. Yeah, it was a really good one. Yeah. Yeah, I met um I met the owner back at Big Lick Comic Con uh in uh Fairfax in the Dulles Expo Center. And uh, you know, we got to talking and he and he saw my books and then he told me about uh the event. And so it's always great how one thing leads to another mm-hmm. thing. So so I went to his event and then I met you guys there and, and we had a ball talking at the banquet and uh and yeah, and so here we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Michael is a quite an established author, but so real quick, I want you to go through because I know we're going to really get into today the cryptid, especially the aquatic cryptid centric book you have. But right. you have a pleth you you have a very wide variety of books. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. why don't you I, give everybody a synopsis about that? Uh, well, I've been uh, officially uh, publishing my book since I was thirteen years old. That's when my Chicken Boy series came out. Oh, wow! And. Uh, <laughs> Chicken Boy is about a, a ordinary chicken that eats radioactive bird seed. He becomes a superhero, and he and his pals save the world from monsters and mad scientists <laughs> in a town where nothing's ever quite normal. And I did three of those books. Um, they were based on characters that I made when I was just nine years old, and I was always uh, doodling 
my characters in, in the margins of my notebooks. There would be these epic battles going on the, on the backs of worksheets uh, back in elementary school. And uh, some of my teachers didn't like that. Some of my teachers like, you know, ripped up my illustrations in front of the class and like threw it on me like confetti and said, this is a distraction. And, uh, and I got sent to summer school over it, but that's where I met um, uh, the teacher who would ultimately be like one of my biggest inspirations to, to become a writer and, and uh, illustrator. Um, Cause he had a big aspect, a uh, creative aspect to his class. And so that's where I created Chicken Boy. I was feeling super inspired. I had a writing journal. I filled it up with all sorts of adventures. And uh, that's where I created Chicken Boy. And then ever since then, I've just uh, continued to write and illustrate and uh, make comics and and do these illustrated chapter books, which is what Chicken Boy is. So I did three of those. And uh, when I was 13, I started redrawing and re-releasing them. I started my own company uh, called Thompson Original Productions. And I named it that because uh, every time I had brought a new character to my teacher, uh, that teacher I mentioned, he would always say, oh, a new Thompson original. So I named my company after <laughs> after that experience. And uh, I started I started uh, re-releasing them and and uh, redrawing them. And then in the background, I was always working on another book, a much bigger book, a novel called World of the Orb. And that was uh, sort of a big sort of combination of a lot of uh, my loves. I love science fiction, fantasy alternate worlds. And in those, in those notebooks I mentioned, I had so many creatures and I knew I wouldn't have time to realistically write a story about each one of them. But I thought, how cool would it, would it be to create my own world where all these things could live and, um, and, uh, and then have two characters from earth get lost in that world and have to find their way home. So I created a uh, world of the orb and that was something I was working on in the background since high school and uh, this is the this is the world so that's awesome that's a, yeah there's something special about world building and all that you know really uh yeah. gets the i don't know gets the reader very involved and encapsulated in in your you know in your mind definitely um it's kind of a uh th there's a very there's a big immersion aspect uh to world of the orb i wanted to uh present the world uh to the reader at the same rate that our main characters are discovering it and so that's the benefit of having a sort of earthly voices in this other earthly, otherworldly environment. And so, and so that was sort of the experience with World of the Orb. And that blends mythology with a lot of my own creations. And, um, and then when it eventually came time to write my cryptid book, Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters, um, that was uh, another union of a couple of my interests as well. And that was cryptozoology. Uh, globsters, uh, unsolved mysteries. And those are things that I was always like looking into. And I just love folklore and uh, tales of the sea. That sort of came through to me um, in, there's usually like a specific image that comes through, like the first image of a story pops into my head and I might make a note of it or, or draw the character or draw the scene. Um, but uniquely with Winslow, uh, what came through first was the first line of the book. And it came through, in the character's voice as well. And I didn't really have like the context or what it meant, but uh, it popped into my head one day and it went, have you ever stared straight into the eyes of death and scoffed? And I was like, ooh. <laughs> so I quickly, I quickly typed that down into a document. I don't even know what it was titled, but it was just, it was just a blank page with just that line sitting on top. And in high school, I had uh, an assignment to write a short story. 
And I remembered that line that I had written down. And I thought, okay, uh, let's figure out what character is saying this. Let's figure out what he's talking about. You know, what are the eyes of death? And so um, the the style of the of the speech that sort of came through in my head was, you know, very salty and it was very much like a, a man of the sea. And so that was kind of immediately where my mind went. And I was like, okay, this is this is a fisherman. Um, that can't just be a regular fish. You know, this can't be can't even be a shark. This can't be anything, you know, previously known. And so my my interest in cryptozoology started to creep back and I started like going back through um, some of my research into cryptids and uh, those globsters that I mentioned. And globsters are uh, unidentified creatures that have washed ashore, you know, bodies of unknown animals. And uh, they've been so distorted uh, by, um, you know, decay sometimes that you can't really tell what they what they were. And you have these uh, rumors that start to spread about them. And so there was this one that was really fascinating to me called uh, Gambo. It was named that because it washed ashore in the Gambia in 1983. And they weren't sure if it was like some type of prehistoric dolphin or the last of the Mosasaurs or something. Um, but what was so fascinating about it was uh, before scientists had a chance to sort of like document it specifically and, and take a good look at it, the body disappeared. Um, it was chopped up. It was buried in the sand. The head was sold to uh, some tourist, I think. So that's a big mystery. And and I, I thought, well, this is great. I can do whatever I want with this thing. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, and so, as I sometimes do with a lot of my books, I wanted to present the most unbelievable uh, circumstance possible and make that believable. Uh, because if we have that sort of um, inciting incident where, uh, where, where, I, if the story is able to pull you in and you can believe uh, something so unbelievable as uh, what I turned Gambo into, which is a fire-breathing fish, um, I thought that sort of clash of elements would be would be pretty gnarly. And so, um, and I was especially fascinated. I, I had learned, I guess not too long ago, that uh, there are certain elements that burn so hot that they can create their own oxygen, even underwater. Yeah, magnesium. Like magnesium. Yep. Yes. <laughs> and so I thought, okay, let's create a sort of for my creature, a biological version of that. And uh, as you read in the story, a uh, uh, Winslow sort of uh, guesses that that might be the way that it breathes, that it that it's sort of like uh, vaporizing the water and like huff, huffing the fumes because it didn't have any gills. Hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that, so that's how I got into uh, into that book. That's amazing. Yeah, I like I like how your inspiration for writing and stuff all started, you know, just when you were a kid and you were a doodler. Because I can relate yeah. to that very much where people or your teachers would. Mine used to draw like X's through my doodles on the side of my homework assignments and tests and stuff and say like, stop doing this and stop doing this to your paper. So I can very much relate to your story. And it's nice to have a teacher actually embrace it. And yeah. now now look what you're doing now. If it weren't for that teacher to embrace that part of you, you know, who knows yeah. where, where, where a path it would have led you. I, it completely changed my life because it was like to me, this was something that was so natural and something that I would do no matter what. And so uh, prior to that, you know, the, like three years prior to that, every teacher being like, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, you're distracted, you're, um, whereas to have this teacher sort of uh, say, that's great, harness that and, yes. and tell, tell me what this, uh, this character's backstory is. It's like, ooh, so he, he really um, sort of opened up my mind and uh, 
and it was the it was the first time I really I was like, wait, I could do this as a as a career. Like this is a viable path. Um, and so it was there that I started getting this uh, this dream to see my my books on a shelf, you know. And um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, Chicken Boy kind of became our class mascot. I made like this sculpture out of um, I don't know if you're familiar, but uh, back in the day they might still have it. It's something called Model Magic. I made like a, yeah. a sculpture of Chicken Boy. <laughs> And uh, I actually have like little ones here. There we go. There's a little. little oh, guy. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so and and so Chicken Boy kind of became our class mascot. And what's amazing is I returned to that school not too long ago, right before uh, the lockdown. So like this was like in 2020, before everything locked down. Mm-hmm. I was invited back to my old elementary school as a guest speaker for read across america and i i walk in and uh they have this they're doing these murals on the wall and apparently the kids had voted on their favorite literary characters and on one of the walls uh being currently being painted by the mural uh company uh mural mural on the wall was the name of the company currently being painted was chicken boy (laughs) and all the chicken boy characters and so they were they were you know flying around and existing next to stuff like the cat in the hat and um arthur the aardvark and all and and harry potter on the wall and so i was like that is that is really amazing that is awesome that yeah that that's such a good like origin story it's good to in the fact you got to go back and see that on the wall it's like told you so you know to those teachers (laughs) (laughs) it's true i mean that's an inspiring story just in itself it really is yeah, it is. Because you're, you're, you get to be yourself. You know, you're doing what you naturally do. Not everyone, Thank you. Not everyone gets that experience. But I think it's an amazing thing. Yeah, definitely. So with the Winslow book, is it kind of like, without giving it all away, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's the point of reading the book. But right. <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, this, the, the main character going back through saying fish tales of these creatures he's encountered over time right? right yes so um it's very much like your classic fishing fisherman's tales but with real monsters um uh winslow is uh we the story opens and uh we're kind of our main character is john chaplin and he's a he's a journalist and so he's uh assigned to this story to uh, meet with this fisherman at his houseboat and he's claiming to have uh, had some monstrous encounter in the bay the book takes place up in nova scotia and uh, he's sitting there and he's talking to him and, and uh, we're very much in John's head a lot of the time. And we're, we're sort of, uh, we sort of get to witness uh, John's change from sort of skeptical journalist to like, you know, maybe a believer. And, um, and there's other characters, other, uh, it's a very like lived in town uh, called Bayfield where we have all these other characters that Winslow's telling his tales to. Um, he spends a lot of time in Keeley's Bayside Eatery, which is this little uh, nautical restaurant that's right on the bay, and and he's uh, that's where he delivers his fish. And so we've got um, a little Irish family that that runs that, and uh, yeah, so it's essentially it's like your classic fisherman's tales with with uh, monsters. And so and a big a big theme of the book is kind of inversion. Um, because like with with fishing tales, you know, there's uh, there's sort of the stereotype of exaggeration and stuff um but you know the thing that we learn about winslow is that you know he's not a very good liar you know (laughs) he's just uh 
uh, he just kind of has this charm and this uh, way with the monsters. And so, uh, so some of the characters believe him, some of them don't. Um, but he's, uh, it's like, you know, how is this possible that, that one man uh, happens to encounter so many beasts of legend? Um, so, so that, that's sort of what it's about. You're definitely hitting at home in the cryptid community yeah, right now. Yeah. So I was gonna say, let's go I'm over. Some, let's go over some of those beasts. Uh, we talked about a couple before the the show we started uh, recording, but the one I, you know a favorite on this show is the beast of Cherubosco, and yes. you have a representation <laughs> of it in the book, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, we have uh, we've got the beast of Busco, and so uh, we get a kind of a flashback uh that's towards the middle of the book and so um i won't say in what context but winslow did have an encounter with the beast of busco um he and a he and a friend of his um and so this one in in the book it's just presented as absolutely like dinosauroid massive you know (laughs) spiky uh mammoth of a of a turtle and it's sort of like sculling across the road in the in the rain, and um, and so yeah, they encounter it. And it's, it was actually it's a very pivotal moment in, in in Winslow's life, and that's sort of the thing. A lot of the monsters within the story they represent like major changes or um, major moments in in the character's life. It's not it's uh, the character the the cryptids are so cool, and and it, it is it has that kind of that creature feature vibe. But in the context of the book, they're very uh, symbolic. Um, so like, a, uh, an encounter with a cryptid may sort of be symbolic of, uh, of like the state of the character's friendship, um, the relationship, the, uh, the character's personal, uh, change. And that's what they're the catalysts for. Um, cause the story is really about, really about these characters. That's awesome. And another one you mentioned was the St. Augustine mystery blob or the St. Augustine mm-hmm. giant octopus. Which is yeah, another yeah. one of these globsters. That's right. Yeah, the story opens and has and and finales with uh, these creatures that were inspired by globsters. The first one was Gambo, and uh, the big finale of the book is uh, Giganteus, uh, the Kraken. And so, uh, my interpretation of the Kraken, um, we have a really cool Kraken. I'm I'm very proud of the Kraken in the book. Um, it has a uh, camouflage capability um it's it's platy um it's it just looks like here i'll see i mean you're this is going to be audio only but i'll show you guys um if i can flip to the page in the book uh the picture of giganteus so this is i've always loved krakens i love octopi there we go is that you see that oh yeah oh yeah there's just all found plated it spiky octopus i love it yeah, here you go. If you want a close-up view of it, yeah. Armor-plated cephalopod. And this all comes yeah. just from your own like research, and then your mind's eye, right? Right. Um, so I wanted to, uh, and and I have a love for you know animals and just uh, you know looking into looking into things. The the I was I was very inspired by the giant Pacific octopus mm-hmm. and like those little those little eye horns that it has. And, yeah little spiky like barbie parts all over it um so i was like you know it's there's there's a kind of a mission uh to represent these cryptids you know not only in like you know what i think is like the coolest way possible but also 
in a way that I don't think that you'll see in other forms of, of media. Um, and that's going, that's going to uh, carry forward into uh, the next book because, and I don't know if I've told uh, anyone else this, so this could be a cryptid to the corner. Oh, exclusive. But uh, there's going, it's going to be a series. There's going to be five books uh, in the Winslow series, at least in the main series. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's actually really exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Crypt is a corn exclusive, everybody. There you go. <laughs> I do have a, uh, I don't know, this is a globster and a sighting. That I, do, I just wonder if you ever came across it. We're going to do an episode on it here. It's a while away, but it's on our list. You ever heard of Trunko? Yes. Actually, uh, Trunko appears in the second Winslow book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> Trunko is a really neat one. I uh, love Trunko. Now, do yeah. you, you ever heard the uh, speculative origins of Trunko? I have, yeah. That it was uh, sort of, the idea was that it was a decaying um decaying blubber and when blubber decays it's sort of um so for for those who don't know trunco was described as a fish like a polar bear and it just had the the most fantastic sort of uh proposed body plan here it had an elephantine trunk it had uh like sort of this this white uh shaggy fur and then it had a tail like a lobster is what people describe and this was also uh this was off the coast of where was it it was in um that was was it South America? I think was when the it was Africa. Africa, yeah, it was the uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, yeah, it was seen alive, hunted by orcas first. Yeah, yes. There's this big. So if you look up Trunco, there's always um, lots of people paint this big uh, orca fight, and that was that was the inspiration for the Trunco story in uh, Book Two of Winslow, which awesome. uh, that book's. I, I I feel okay saying that because that book's coming out pretty soon. It's coming out in um, you know, within. At the beginning of next year, um, nice. maybe by spring. Um, but yeah, so that uh, so they so apparently when when blubber decays, it kind of uh, gets this sort of um, it this stringy. First, yeah, it looks. Uh, so we're actually doing an episode on it really soon. What happens when cryptids die? And one of those mm. is blubbery uh, marine animals. Uh, the actual tube of blubber around an animal will slough off. The rest of the body will hit the bottom of the ocean. Sorry, the rest of the body will hit the bottom of the ocean. Mm. Uh, so you end up with this big tube of blubbery uh, meat in the like the carcass, the skeleton, the organs all hit the bottom because uh, their skeletons are so negatively buoyant. Uh, right. So, but when, like you're saying, when blubber starts to decay, it kind of fuzzes out. So you get this yeah. big white looking mess. Mm. Fantastic. But there's Fantastic. actually a biologist working on stuff. So there's the origins that uh, somebody put forward. There seems to be a. Uh, some evidence a species of elephant developed in the Indian Ocean that was going towards semi-aquaticness and may have gotten a little further than we knew about. Oh, that's fantastic. There's an Indian legend of an aquatic um, elephant. Mm-hmm. So there's fossil evidence now suggesting that. But uh, in my research, I came ac- I came across this, um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of um, you know, old old like age of exploration maps like you know seafaring maps they talk about uh there's there's a term for it i think there's like a singular noun to describe this but um that everything on land has its equal in the sea Mm -hmm. that's what that's what it means i remember the definition but i don't remember the word and so that's why a lot of times on these uh old maps you'll see you know finned elephants and uh and and so on and so forth but 
uh, when I was developing um, my version of Trunco, for instance, in book two of Winslow, um, I was I was very much keeping that in mind. And I was uh, I was thinking, OK, so suppose this is like a Cyrenian, you know, suppose this is a um, like a manatee because uh, manatee is related to elephants very much. So mm -hmm. suppose this is uh, a, a very elephantine uh, Cyrenian uh, that happens to have kind of like Arctic Arctic seal like fuzziness uh, all over him. And then I interpreted the um, the lobster tail. Uh, I, I, I looked at. Um, certain species of rhinoceros hmm. uh have, have dermal plating mm -hmm. and so i'm like okay so so the so the way it sort of folds over gives it a se segmented kind of look and so that's that's that was the direction uh, I took. that's yeah. awesome but yeah that's something we're going to really dive into on its ep on an episode is there is yeah that there's really pushing paleontological evidence that there was a species of at least semi-marine elephant or maybe even fully marine if they had enough time and I always thought about that with Trunco, is that it yeah. may have actually been some species of elephant that was, you know, it probably evolved during the last ice age, and a lot of these megafauna disappeared. A lot of species of I, whale disappeared. Wow. I am I am so excited for that episode. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, awesome. That was, uh, that was just last fall that, that that evidence came out, so it's relatively new, you know, when it just discovered sometime. You, well, you know how it works, but everybody at home, you know, when a, a new, let's say, a new fossil or a new prehistoric mammal is discovered, it can sometimes take two or three years before that stuff's published. So when they say new, hmm. they may have knew about it, you know, 2018. Years ago, yeah. But it just takes forever for it to get published because all the lag. Hmm. But that's awesome. I'm excited to see Trunco in the second book. Because Trunco's always been one that was always kind of weird to me. That had enough, it had a lot of credible witnesses for the mm -hmm. fight. What was it? I can't remember. It was a... Was it a whale watching charter that seen uh, it? It might, it might have been. It was, it was at least a bunch of people on, on I, some type of. I think it was a whale watching charter because there was a whole bunch of people out there specifically looking for whales, and like, yeah. oh, orcas, oh, they're hunting. You know, they, you know, they thought it was some small whale species. You know, a fin or something. Well, not small, but not a blue, but you know, you know, a young, yeah. uh, young fin whale or something. And they're like, nope, it has a trunk and it's white and furry. Yeah, <laughs> and it was getting wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For, it was. Uh, it had gotten teamed up on. There were at least oh, yeah. two orcas. Yeah, orcas are nasty. We talked. I don't know if we ever talked I mean, about the show. We talked about it in our morning show a lot. Uh, but do you see that orcas are getting really desperate now? A lot of these orca populations are starting to collapse in what they're doing. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't know. So orcas will. There's specific families that hunt. You know, whales or specific families that hunt. Uh, seals, you know, whatever. These whale hunters that normally hunt fins and minkies, uh, for everybody at home, these are whales that are normally 40 to 60 feet long. You know, big members of those species can hit, you know, 70 feet. Uh, what they do is they'll set up a, basically a relay race because these are long-distance mm -hmm. whales. So the killer whales, the orcas, will set up a relay so they can keep chasing them until they get tired, and then orcas pretty much just drown these big whales, wow. and then they go and eat them. But they tried it. This one pod was getting very, very desperate. So they found a bull blue whale. And for anybody mm. that not know, our biggest blue whale on record is 121 feet and, you know, 200 ton. A big boy. Half a million pounds. Uh, so they go up, and how they get these fights going is they'll run up or they'll swim up and bite these. Uh, they'll swim up and bite these big whales on the tail to get them running. Mm. Well, you know, essentially running. Uh, so this, but they set up the relay, 
They go up to bite this blue whale on the tail. They bite him. The blue whale doesn't even flinch. Knocks this orca 60 feet out of the water. Kills it instantly. Oh. Whoa. And it's like, and the rest of the pod just disperses because they were not expecting to have to fight this thing. Wow. Yeah. Blue whales do not run. They got big yeah. for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> when you're the biggest <laughs> animal to ever live, you don't run from a whole lot once you hit adulthood. Yeah. I just thought yeah. that was neat. I orcas are yeah. weird. Yeah. I there's there's a there's a that reminds me of, of a line in Winslow, um uh in the in the Beast Busco story, um, where he's uh you know, he sort of gets up close to the, the creature and then and then he realizes that it's it's pretty it's pretty tame and he's like he's like, Oh, I see your game now. You know, you're too big to be bothered by anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's sort of uh I've been around yeah. large alligator snapping turtles in Louisiana, and that is pretty much their mentality. Mm-hmm. Is that once they get you know over that hundred pound mark, they're too big for gators to mess with. And yeah. So once you're that big, you just you don't care. Not, yeah. You know, you're gonna live another two hundred years, mm-hmm. but you just relax and you know. You just chill out. <laughs> yeah. So what got you specifically into the sea monsters? I know I have my moments, but I want to hear what like what was that you're triggered? Can you remember? Uh, yes. Um, I think, uh, if, and I, I haven't, I actually haven't really thought about it until you asked me that question, but like, uh, way back in the day, I was, I was, uh, when I was a little kid, I saw the Carta Marina, uh, map by Olaus Magnus. And, uh, it was just filled with all these like wild monsters. And that really just appeared, appealed to me just sort of as like a, you know, as, as someone who likes strange things and, and, uh, it had just sort of like, seeded my my creativity you know there's this wild wild cool uh monsters in there and i had a few other books that seemed to be like inspired by you know the the magnus um uh um uh sea monsters um i got i got some books i still have some books back there about um uh, sea monsters and and the uh, old old maps which like um i get i guess the the popular belief is that uh these uh, a lot of these creatures are just sort of like drawn for the sake of, you know, you have negative space on the map. So like the illustrator just go, just has fun and, uh, and put strange creatures on there. But um, in another sense, you have kind of uh, these are kind of the precursor ideas of what, you know, modern uh, creatures look like. It was the ideas of what they looked like. Cause you know, you would, this is the age of exploration. You're out there and you're, and you see something briefly and you're like, what was that? Like the narwhal mm-hmm. uh, for was called like the sea unicorn for instance and that's that goes back to that idea that everything on land has its answer in the sea and um and so i just i love i loved cryptozoology and as i was getting into you know shows like monster quest and uh all these other uh things that sort of uh uh, went went into went into unknown animals and that was something that really appealed to me and uh yeah, so it was. It just sort of like naturally happened. I didn't set out to um, necessarily write a cryptid book, but um, it was just like sort of a bedrock of interest. It was a foundational interest for me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I said, with that initial line, uh, when I was when I was like, "What what are the eyes of death?" and then I and then I came upon the story of Gambo again, and I thought that's it. And I really liked the name too. You know, it sounded pretty uh, pretty. Uh, pretty menacing and and uh but um but yeah I, I, I wrote that and the class loved it 
when I when I and I I read it aloud because um it, that 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 also sort of got me into like you know the these different voices the book is extremely dialogue driven and so the characters each have a unique voice and they're um and it's written like phonetically so that the a accent comes through uh mm. in in the words itself um so it's uh which makes it <laughs> pretty crazy to edit because so for instance like winslow um instead of two he says ta and inta and and uh, yo instead of you except in specific instances where like the sentence ends with you so um but that's kind of that's more on the topic of like uh, writing but um but thankfully i have a really good editor and he was uh uh originally i had i had written it uh as ta i had i had all the twos were ta's and i was like oh is this going to be too hard to read and i took it all out and then i sent it to him and then he was like you know, it doesn't feel right with the rest of the accent. I think you should change all the twos to ta. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so I'm so glad that he picked up on that. Um, and I was, and it was, uh, um, yeah. But but I've gotten a lot of uh, a lot of readers saying that it just sort of like it's as if you're it's as if you're sitting there listening to this old man regale you uh, with his uh, unbelievable stories. I love it. I love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. So I got two more questions for you to kind of bounce off of. First one, okay. if you had to pick one or two cryptids as your favorites, now it's oh. an impossible question. I just literally, we just got asked it during our morning breakfast. Right, yeah. And we haven't responded to the people yet. So <laughs> I know it may be a hard one, but just give us a couple of your absolute favorites. If you had to put, you know, kind of a title mm. on them. Okay. Well, I do really like the Kraken. I'm, I'm all about octopi mm -hmm. i think those are really cool um and he's re he's represented in in the book but oh i really like chupacabra um but like but like the original you know puerto rican chupacabra the, port, yeah. the, alien, the alien one yeah i like that better than the canid one um and that i I, re I remember when i was sort of looking into it and uh and and it's it's so interesting because like you say chupacabra everyone knows it but like really like the first story is from like 1995 i think and so it's it's just astounding how recent it is you know um so it's just like so that's pretty amazing so i like the chupacabra oh what else what else do i like um yeah we'll, we'll go we'll go with those two for now i'll, I'll, I'll say the kraken in, in all of its different forms you know the oh, yeah. you know the and, and the octopus gigantius and all those mm -hmm. things and um and uh and in terms of like land animals i'll say chupacabra uh i think it's perfect yeah and that's something we haven't really talked about the kraken yet at all no it's on our list like yeah we're we're, we're basically scheduled out all the way through february so they're on there. They're just getting to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It goes back to the Vikings, I believe. The the it's a Norse ledge. I think that's where the the um the name comes from, Kraken. And I th wasn't it then more like a crustacean. Was it? I, I think. Don't know. I just started doing research on it for the, that episode a little bit. I have a couple files. And one of the iterations, one of the really really early iterations, it seemed like it was a word being shared with two different mm. animals. Ooh, okay. Uh, and it seems like one of them was a giant crustacean, like an island crustacean. Wow. And that was That's how pretty... it would kind of lure in people. It's because they think it was a uh, they were making landfall, and the whole island was a living, uh, like a crab, basically. Uh, that's so cool. I actually had one of my stories in the book is called "It weren't no sandbar," and uh, mm. that's the that's the giant lobster that you see on the cover, the sort of okay. sand colored 
And so uh, the interesting thing is, as I was writing this book, I originally thought that the book was going to be a bunch of short stories. Um, but then I noticed that it had this overarching um, you know, story uh, uh, between the stories. And I was like, huh. And, and so I realized that it was it was just a, you know, a regular book. But as I was halfway through it, I had this image pop into my head, which is the image that's represented in the in the chapter illustration for It Weren't No Sandbar. And it was Winslow and his first mate, Hank, holding on for dear life to a uh, massive sandbar sized lobster. And I was like, whoa. Um, and so I, I looked it up. I was like, because I, to my knowledge, I didn't know any lobster cryptids. And so for each of the stories up until this point, I was, I, I had what I called like a real world tether. Mm -hmm. uh, so I wanted every, and that, that's sort of an, an enhancing aspect of, of the, of the book of the story, because like you read this, these things. And if you, if you look up any aspect of it, you're like, whoa, uh, this is, uh, other people have claimed to have seen this thing. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool, especially for like people who, um, I mean, if you're into cryptozoology already going into it, then this is like absolute wish fulfillment for you. Um, if you're if you're new to it and then you start looking up these things like that, you that you think are sort of like unique to the world. And then you find out that, oh, no, this is just uh, 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 these things sort of exist, um, at least in, in folklore. Uh, it's sort of like a, it, it adds a magical quality to it. But um, uh, I could not find a, a cryptid at the time that was uh that was a, a, a massive lobster i had seen uh back in um on some of the on um, on some of those like uh, age of exploration maps giant lobsters and i think one was called gambar but it was too close in in name to gambo so i didn't want right. to use that mm -hmm. and then um and i found and i found a few others that weren't exactly right uh but then i thought to myself Okay, and I sort of had this this sort of spark in my mind. I said, "What is the biggest lobster on record that has ever been caught?" And I looked it up, and guess where guess where it was fished out of? I'm gonna have to guess in between Norway and Iceland. It was it was fished out of Nova Scotia, where the oh. book takes place. Oh awesome. wow! And so I was like, "That's the tether," and so. Uh, I decided. I said, "There we go." And and then we have this sort of this sort of bit with uh, Winslow saying, "You know, bigger amount, bigger, uh, bigger something gets, the more it can eat. Uh, more it can eat, bigger it gets. You know, before long, you got yourself a real monster and a darn good story too." And so, <laughs> um, and so we have this uh, sandbar-sized lobster, and I nicknamed it Claws uh, <laughs> after Jaws. So. Right. <laughs> now that's um, a movie. Yeah. yeah. The big lobster claw coming up for the swimmer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I haven't done a lot of research for that episode yet. I've done a little bit. I have a book on North myth Norse mythology, and um, it's talked about that. And it seems to be kind of a uh, an old, you know, old old colloquial name for these gigantic okay. monsters. But it seems to be these two different body plans. Like the stories seem to be interchangeable for the cephalopod-like one. You know, these the, like you're saying the Titanic octopus. And this more, you know, crustacean-like one. Hmm. And I think they were both on... I can't remember the name of the strait. Uh, there's a strait that the Vikings would take from, you know, or, you know, Europe to Iceland and Greenland. There's basically... You have a, a nice... It's a shallower shelf on the ocean, so it makes the water on top nice and smooth compared to the rest of the ocean. And that's how the hmm. Vikings could get that... Like, they would go the long way around instead of cutting straight across because it was okay. easier. You wouldn't die. 
But <laughs> that's also you have these giant monsters being as close as they're going to be to the surface. Wow. So you're going right over the top of the backs of giant lobsters, apparently. That's fantastic. I love it. I love it. So my last question, uh, what is maybe one of the, one or two of the weirdest cryptids you've come across in your research? Because like when we research this stuff a lot, there's always that one that kind of makes you like, what the heck is yeah. that? Huh? Yeah. Do you have any you mm. can think of? Um. Oh, man, there's so many. I'm trying to think. Some of them are represented in, in the in the next Winslow book, so I don't know how don't much Don't spoil I can them, yeah. Say. Uh, but let's see. I remember uh, we were having a conversation, Jay and I, um, uh, at the hotel after Bigfoot and Friends, and I was asking I was asking you guys what your favorite cryptids were at the time, and uh, and I remember that uh, Jay said atmospheric beasts was something that he was oh. really oh, yeah. into, and I and I'm like, yes, those are those are really weird, and uh, I like those. I definitely want to represent those in some form in some book someday. Um, but uh, those are like the it's like you know some massive creatures swimming through the air you know mm-hmm. and uh, and they have all kinds of different uh, body plans represented there that, that's a weird one and possibly like an interdimensional type thing which right. i think that's that's always exciting yeah oh definitely they're definitely weird uh we've done episodes on them now and we have more episodes oh, yeah. planned in the future because people love the the topic so much but the giant manta rays are probably really weird the manta ray shaped creatures yeah. And they've been seeing, we're getting ready for that next episode. We've done a lot of research on it. They are seen far more commonly than people really? believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's because the UFO community kind of throws them out as just randos. Right, yeah. But I found probably about 60 or 70 reports in probably the last 40 years of them. Uh, and just hmm. from my cursory research. Literally, they just pop up and I'm like, is this the same story I just read? Nope, this one's in you know Nova Scotia. This one's in Nebraska. This one's in Canada. You know, it's like, they seem to be very much northern hemisphere. Okay. Uh, and they seem to be like I think our the lowest one I've ever seen, and I'm talking you know latitude or yeah latitudely, would be uh, like the Kansas one we had somebody write into us about. Right. Yeah. But most of the time they're Kansas and above latitudely. Uh, definitely, you know, north. They're definitely northern hemispheric creatures. It's weird. I just remembered when, as you as you were talking about that, and, and your last um, your last question about the weirdest things yes. things that I've come across in my research, um, when you were when you were mentioning like low flying, uh, uh, atmospheric organisms, um, have you heard of the Crawfordsville monster? Yep. Oh yes, we sure yeah, have. Uh, that is a wild one, and it has it had like an eye in its throat, right? Yep. So you have you ever heard of a cyanophore? Cyanophore. Uh, uh, no, define that. Okay, no. so it's a deep ocean organism. Uh, well, organisms. Right. They're uh, colonial organisms. So it's a whole bunch of different species mm-hmm. basically hugging arms to form a body. To make one that appears to be one singular organism. Oh, yes. that's so cool. So, like, the best example is probably so the, the be- yeah. man of war jellyfish. Yeah. Oh. It's okay. not a jellyfish, it's a cyanophore. Wow. It's okay. many species holding on to each other. Uh, but look up deep sea cyanophores, and it looks just like the Crawford. Some of them look just like the Crawfordsville monster. So oh, if you, that's fantastic. Yeah, if, if if truly the ocean does imitate the land, and you know, back and forth, there you go. And Holy moly! Why it was acting so sick is probably so. We uh, went into in depth about the layers of the atmosphere, and so we live in the trope, uh, which goes fifty miles up, and the stratosphere is the one right above us. Uh, 
the stratosphere and the trope do have kind of like a wall in between them. So it's very, okay. you'd have to be kind of a tough bodied animal to keep going back and forth between them. So that if it is like a true cyanophore, it would probably be very bad for it to be end up on this side of the wall. And that's why it was hmm. struggling and everybody's like, it seemed like it was not doing well. All the stories were like, yeah, it seems like it's not doing too hot. And then it died. Mm-hmm. Right. That's amazing. But yeah, that is the weird. That is a weird one. Three sets of jaws. They were describing the giant fins look just like the propelling fins on a Santafor. Santafors are kind of like a halfway monster between like a worm, a bat. I don't know. You could mix just about anything. Basically, the worst thing you've ever seen is probably a (laughs) Santafor. It's like created in a lab, spliced together creature. That's awesome. But yeah, that's Crawfordsville is or yeah, Crawfordsville is definitely. A weird one. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, we want to thank you for coming on. It's been great. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. And I think we'll that have you back great. on because you're a great hang. I, w- I would love Absolutely. to come back on. Absolutely. Time, yeah. uh, I think I'd love to have you on for like a spe- uh, like a featured guest for a certain topic. Sure. Which we can talk about off, you know, off camera. But totally. bef- before I cut you loose, I want you to just kind of go back through your books again Say where you can find them, where they can find you, any events you got coming up, that kind of stuff. All right, sure. Um, well, I have a few books uh, for a variety of genres and a variety of readers. Uh, I have the superhero comedy series Chicken Boy. I love it. I have uh, World of the Orb, which is a uh, sci-fi fantasy alternate world adventure. And the book that we spent the most time talking about today was obviously... Winslow Hoffner's Incredible Encounters. It's folkloric fantasy on the high seas about cryptids, sea monsters, epic urban legends that few have beheld, but there's one man who happens to have seen them all. And he's regaling his tales to a couple of journalists who discover their small harbor town may not be what it seems. And you can find all of these books on my website at michaelthompsonbooks.com. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N books.com. And uh, all of my upcoming events are there too. Uh, a couple that I'm really excited for is Encounter Quest in April, April 1st in uh, in North Carolina. And so I'm excited for that one. And then uh, very excited in June of next year for Monster Fest in Ohio. So I'm going to be uh, closer to your guys' neck of the woods. So oh, yeah. we are vending both of those with you. Oh, awesome. We are going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, so yeah, we'll be there, both of those. We're vending both, yeah. So that's awesome. I didn't realize you got in a Monster Fest. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's going to be a big one. Same with Encounter Quest is great. Uh, our friend Jess is running that, and it's going to be mm-hmm. great. We just actually recorded her promo for it on Sunday. Yeah. Or sun- yeah. Or whatever. I can't remember. It was now. this week. Yeah. Or this, yeah. So yeah, and, and all of Michael's links will be below. So it'll be just you. All you gotta do is click on one of the links in the description below. Take you right to his page. Uh, but yeah, once again, Michael, thank you. We're gonna have you on as a featured guest for a special topic. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun. So awesome. we we have a tradition on here of how we end the episodes. Basically, I'll count to three, and we'll all scream bye. Okay. So we're trying <laughs> yeah. to break the mics. <laughs> All right. right. <laughs> Three, two, one. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. 
Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.